So we've been in the book of Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs is really an unpacking of the wisdom of God. So many people think it is a how-to manual of life, and let's say there's some of that in here, but if you start there, you miss the real premise of Proverbs, that this is God putting wisdom on pages of Scripture in how life works according to uh, the wisdom that he has put into this world, that this world reflects his character. And that's why in chapter 1 and other places, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That if you miss that, if you miss the beginning place of a right relationship with God, you will lack wisdom because you miss the fundamental principle that wisdom hinges on him and not on your rational thought. So uh, as, we un, uh, as we looked at wisdom, then we then started to look at characters from the book of Proverbs. We looked at the fool, who's the one who's kind of obstinate and stubborn, you know, a little bit dug in, thinks they know everything. Uh, then we looked at the simple, the one who lacks experience, the one who's naive, the one who doesn't really want to enter in. They want to keep their options open. And then we looked at the scoffer or the mocker, the one who is just uh, questioning everything uh, is uh, really uh, one who is in a lot of trouble in their life because uh, they refuse to hear and refuse to be taught. Uh, and then we looked last week at the sluggard, uh, the lazy one, uh, the one who, uh, you know, has a difficult time starting things and then has a difficult time, even if they start, they don't finish. They don't plan ahead. They don't do the things they need to do to follow the wisdom of God. And so uh, those, if you like me, maybe got a little bit beat up the last four weeks, uh, like just, whoa, uh, this is all about me. Uh, today is a little bit, uh, a little bit more on the positive side, and that is the friend. And so we're going to look at friendship, and uh, one small group is actually studying uh, the, uh, the book of Proverbs through Tim Keller's devotional. I know others have purchased it. There's a section in, the, in that devotional starting in June 13th because uh, it's a daily devotional on friendship. And uh, just know that he's sitting on Derek Kidner's commentary, and so there's going to be some commonality. But uh, it's not Keller we're pulling from. We're both pulling from Kidner. And uh, so anyway, uh, regardless, uh, this is God's word. This is God's word in the book of Proverbs, and uh, so why don't we just express our submission to the word of God. Let's stand for the reading of the word, and we're going to be in various passages throughout, starting in chapter 13, verse 20. So this is about friendship in the book of Proverbs. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Go to verse seven, chapter 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Then go to chapter 18, verse 24. That a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jump down to chapter 27, and 27 has a lot on friendship, actually. 
Uh, we're going to look at verses 6, 9, and then also in 17. But verse 6 of 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, or many, are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Down in verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So a quick uh, summary of the book of, Pro- uh, the book of Proverbs on the idea of being a friend. Let's pray. Just ask for God's wisdom. Uh, God, would you give us clarity? Would you help us to hear and see what friendship looks like? Uh, God, help us to uh, pursue friends that honor you uh, and spur us on in pursuing wisdom. God, also, I pray that you would uh, have us be Uh, friends uh, for people around us. God, that you would uh, challenge us that what does it look like for us to really be a God-honoring friend for the people around us? Uh, So, uh, God, give us wisdom. uh, Challenge us where we need it. Uh, God, would you meet us, maybe even in the lonely place that some in this room would say they don't have a good friend. Father, I pray that you would fill that void Uh, and that you would meet whoever that is, uh, God, that you would meet them in that, uh, and uh, that you would uh, satisfy their soul. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So back in 2007, back in 2007, there was a study run by four PhD psychologists, and uh, these, uh, these PhDs were looking at the effects of friendship on physical health, the effects of friendship on physical health. And, uh, and so they wrote one article, it's actually published, in, uh, on the importance of relationship quality and the impact of ambivalence in friendship on cardiovascular function. So basically, how does your friends, how do your friends affect your heart, literally? Uh, and so the, the test peop- subjects were brought in, and, and they were told to bring uh, a friend with them to this study, and uh, though they didn't know what they were being studied for. And the study examined the effects of the quality of friendship on the cardiovascular reactivity when speaking about either a positive or a negative event. Uh, and if that friend was either ambivalent, kind of like an acquaintance more, or a, a supportive friend. And the results, they said uh, that the participants had a much greater level of blood pressure reactivity. Basically, when they shared about negative events and they were with a friend who wasn't supportive, their blood pressure was all over the map. When they shared about, the people that shared about negative events with a friend who they determined to be supportive, all of a sudden their blood pressure was stabilized. Conclusion of the study, individuals may not be fully able to relax in the presence of ambivalent friends and may not benefit from support of those types of people during stress. How is it that friendship would actually start to affect Uh, actual physical uh, well-being of people. It's interesting. Could it be that God has put the wisdom of friendship in our hearts? Has he put relationship in our hearts? And many studies in in, uh, these years have linked this even to the idea that another study done years later 
said that people with a solid group of friends are 50% more likely to survive, not, not die, at any given time than those without one. Regardless of what you're facing, sickness, illness, disease, anything, people with a solid group of friends are 50% more likely to live. That's crazy. But it goes to something that we need. Friendships matter. And in middle school and high school and in college, the importance of friendships are, are at their peak, right? We, 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 friends are everything at that time. And, but yet, you know, even at the end of uh, life, you know, kind of, uh, you know, maybe um, the last three or four decades of your life, especially when empty nest hits, kids away from college and life taking, in a di- taking you in a different direction, it's interesting that friendships become more valuable. But in the middle, isn't it interesting that the functional importance of friendship declines? When you come out of college, you're advancing in your career, you get married, you have kids, life progresses, and all of a sudden friendships start to fall by the wayside. But yet, there's something innate in us that needs this. Our culture loves the idea of romantic love, right? And romantic relationships. Nine out of ten movies are about it, right? Uh, that's Keith's stat, not real. Uh, but it's close. Uh, you know, we, we just idolize that idea of romantic love and relationships there. Uh, more, maybe you're more on the conservative side, traditional side, and you say, you know what, family, that's what matters exclusively. And one of those two things tends to take uh, precedence in a society, but friendship tends to just be, you know, like it's an afterthought. What about friends? But friendship takes this, this uh, intentional pursuit, tons of time to build a friendship, right? And when we are very busy, friendship gets pushed out. But friends offer th- us things that our soul needs. That a romantic relationship nor a family relationship might be able to offer. Proverbs 17, 17, we read it earlier, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. There's something unique in a friendship that even a family relationship, like closeness of a brother, cannot provide. And so what does the look of friendship, uh, how does the, the writer of Proverbs unfold that? So first we're going to look at the molding influence of friends. So the shaping influence of friends, that our friends influence us deeply. You know, like a potter with clay, we're molded by them. And obviously children are molded primarily by their parents in those formative years. But as we age, who we associate with becomes a huge factor in the molding of our lives. And so students, that's why your parents are constantly asking you about your friends. It matters. You may not think it matters, but who you associate with influences and molds you. And uh, what's interesting is the idea of influence means that other people have say in our lives, and that we actually need friends and advisors. Proverbs thirteen twenty, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So the, the effect goes two ways. If you walk with the ones who are wise, you grow in wisdom. If you walk with fools, you become a fool. So it's not only negative, it's also positive. In Proverbs 1, uh, you, you hear this father speaking to his son, and he's saying, my son, if sinners entice you, uh, don't consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Basically, there's this invitation, come with us. Come with us and do all this crazy stuff. And the, and the father is saying, watch out, son. Don't go with them. But there's something in our hearts that is like, yeah, you know, let's have a crazy time. You know, these guys want me around. And you hear that, come with us. You know, lie in, lie in wait with us. Let's ambush. And there's the us and the we. Go down to verse 15. And the, the father picks up again. And he says, my son... Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Okay, meaning if you put a net in front of a bird, it's going to walk around the net. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. And in a sense, the father is saying, don't go with them because you will inherit the results of their life. That these are who are saying, hey, come on, we're going to have a great time. We're going to do all this. We're going to get rich quick and all this. And, but they themselves are setting a net and setting a trap for themselves, for their own blood, and they don't even know it. And the association or the influence of uh, of fools, of those who are outside of the will of God, we, we will inherit that if we call them friends. The molding influence of friendship. I'm going to leave that verse on the screen as I uh, talk about this. Uh, in the miniseries Lonesome Dove, I used this about four years ago. So uh, Lonesome Dove is kind of, it ran in the uh, late 80s, and it was about an old Western kind of setting. And, uh, you know, lots of honorable men of law enforcement, you know, the sheriffs on horses, and, you know, the damsel in distress and needing to be rescued. And then, of course, thieves and gangs and robbers, outlaws, right? And uh, one character named Jake Spoon, he breaks off from the law enforcement group, the sheriffs. He wants to do his own thing, and he wants to go his own way, and he ends up connecting with a group of guys who were thieves, robbers, uh, they would call outlaws. And then this gang of men rolls up on this group of horse wranglers. They see this group of horses. They want them, so they kill uh, those, uh, those wranglers. They steal their horses, even though Jake is with them protesting. Let's not do this, and they do it. Anyway, well, uh, it, the story progresses, and, and of course, that group is now discovered by the group of sheriffs. And this was the group that Jake was a part of. And so the sheriffs realize that this group of outlaws killed this group of wranglers, and they're going to be hanged for their crimes. 
and Jake's former friends that he broke off with, he, he looks at him, he says, you know I would never do this. You know I would never do any of that. To which his old friends look at him and say, if you ride with them, you hang with them. If you ride with outlaws, you hang with outlaws. Now, that's a nice western and lonesome dove, but there is a reality to the molding influence of friendships, a molding influence of who we associate with. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives, and the father is pleading with the son, don't go with them. But then we get to the difficulty of friendship. Uh, and I added this, it's not on your outline, and I think I actually botched it on the outline up there. So uh, the difficulty of friendship. Uh, the difficulty of friendship is that re real friends are hard to find. So not only are we molded by them, but they're difficult to find. And we see that in Proverbs 14, 20, that the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Okay, think about that. The poor is disliked by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. That the, There is a difficulty in finding real friends. I have a dear friend growing up that he was always like hugely capable. He was crazy successful, very young. And he looked at me and he said, everybody in my life wants something from me. And he started to pull back from all of these relationships, family included, because everybody wanted something from him. He didn't know who his real friends were. And so uh, the Pro Proverbs is saying that you'll have a lot of friends around you if you're capable, you're successful, and you have a lot to offer. But who is a real friend and who's not, that can't be determined by the number of the people around you. That, you know, a, a friend is not just something, uh, someone you hang out with to get something from them. It is truly cherishing that person just because of the relationship itself. And so it's both the temptation of our hearts to be around people that can offer us things, and it's the difficulty of kind of even the other temptation to, to doubt everybody's motive when they're with us. Uh, and, and so friendships are very difficult. I'm going to skip those. But then go to Proverbs 20, verse 6. That many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. That, that finding real friendship is difficult. Okay? So we're influenced by friends, but then finding a real true friend is no easy task. So what does Proverbs say about the traits of a true friend? Okay, what, what, are, what are any of the traits of a true friend? That, uh, you know, how do you become a true friend to somebody? And what do you look for in a real friend? Here are a couple phrases uh, that were interestingly descriptive uh, in Proverbs. In 27.9, it talked, this, talked about the sweetness of a friend. And then in chapter 3, verse 29, it's not necessarily talking about friendship, but it talks about the one who dwells trustingly beside you. I thought those were just two really interesting phrases about friendship, that there's a sweetness to it, 
and the person, if you have a real friend, they stand trustingly beside you. And th that last one actually is, a, um, is an encouragement to not plot evil against the one who is trustingly beside you, because that would obviously undermine friendship. It's a joy to the soul to have a true friend as they stand beside you in full trust. But what are those traits, what are those characteristics that then start to flesh those two phrases out? First is a true friend is constant, okay? A, a true friend doesn't show up and then leave. A, a true friend is there all the time. Uh, we saw it uh, that a friend loves at all times. That was Proverbs 17. You know, good, bad, indifferent, they are always there. That a man of many companions may come to ruin, because they're going to come and go, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, don't over-spiritualize this verse. Yes, that easily is Jesus that he is a friend who will stick closer, and we're going to get there. But the friend that is your best friend, Proverbs is talking, there is a friend. It's not that you are going to uh, never find a person that will not do that. Because what's interesting is that idea of sticks closer, that word is cleave. You know, uh, that a, a man will, will leave his father and mother and what? cleave to his wife, cling to his wife, stick to her. And there is a friend who will cleave and stick uh, with you, uh, and that is a gift from God. It's not necessarily saying a, like uh, a definite friend, but there, there's possibilities of friends who will stick that closely, because a friend is constant. A friend doesn't bail uh, when life becomes difficult for you, a friend sticks. So a friend is, is constant. We also see that in Proverbs 27, verse 10. You know, and this is kind of both about giving and receiving friendship. Uh, don't forsake your friend or your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better, better is a neighbor who's near than a brother who's far away. Uh, the idea that, that these friends that God brings into our midst, to not forsake them, to not push them away, not abandon them, even your parents' friends, the friends of the family God has given, uh, that we might continue those things. So friendship is constant. And now we're going to get to a little bit more meddling, okay? We got that one. We, at least we understand it. The next is uh, traits of friendship are not just uh, constant, but there's a bold honesty in real and true friendship. Bold honesty. Are you one like me that struggles to speak bold truth at times? You know, you know something, but you're like, eh, I don't have to say that, do I? Uh, and, or, you know, you soft pedal it. Bold honesty is the mark of a real friend. Proverbs 27, 5, and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. The next verse helps us understand what that's talking about. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses 
of an enemy. That confrontation, wisdom from a friend that challenges us, that is God's way of us growing in our faith, in our walk with him. Uh, That kisses are not always what they seem to be. The outward expression of of, uh, friendship or the outward expression of, uh, of adoration. You know, the best example is Judas. You know, one of Jesus's disciples, he kisses Jesus on the cheek to betray him. Absolute betrayal with an outward show of love. And kisses from an enemy. Those words of praise from an enemy are going to be many. But the, one, the wounds from a friend you can trust. Ray Ortland says it this way. By ourselves, we become dull and blunted and lose our edge. Every one of us needs a friend who will not flatter us, but will refine us. Who wants a friend like that? Come on. We want the friend that we're going to have fun with, that we're going to pal around with, that's going to keep everything light, kind of like the naive or the simple. You know, don't, don't get too down on things. But we all know in our heart that we will not grow without that type of reflection in our life. And so so what does this mean? It means that friendship just goes out of a way of kind of self-help. And friendship now requires deep humility. To be a friend, to receive friendship, that takes great humility. And so friendship goes from just a, a, a nice thing in life to a gospel issue. That you cannot have really good friends unless you are humbled before God. Because it's the nature of friendship that says, I need somebody else's voice in my life, and I'm going to open my life to you so that you can speak to me what you see, especially when I don't like what you're saying. That's a friend. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. You know, that, uh, that Ortland goes on, you know, you need somebody that's, that you can go to and just help me see myself. Help me actually sharpen myself for Christ. And then he goes on with this. And if no other person in your church is good enough to play that role for you, then you, or the problem, is you. What he means is if you're looking around the church and nobody quite measures up to have that level of privilege in your life, or nobody really understands you enough to have that level of voice in your life, and you know what? Nah. Ortland says, and I would agree with him, that you are the problem. And it becomes a gospel issue before God to say, God, I am covered up with pride. Nobody else feels worthy enough to speak into my life. God, would you bring natural humility through Christ? That wisdom will grow when we have a true friend speaking into your life, a true friend who's willing to cause you pain so that you might grow. Not ultimate pain, but, you know, that incremental temporal pain so that you might grow. So Keller, in his devotional, it's actually June 17th, if you're following along, he has this prayer to conclude that day. 
He said, Lord, today, kind of like in today's time, to friend something is to like rather than dislike. Get this sentence. I have not been conditioned to have friends who dislike things about me and tell me so. We've been conditioned the opposite. We hang around people who tell us we, that they like all of us and we like all the same things. I've not been conditioned to have friends who dislike things about me and tell me. But my heart knows and your word says that I need them. Lead me, Lord. Lead them to me and give me the willingness to be open to them. Amen. Because that is not natural. Your heart says protect yourself. Your heart says you know best. Your heart says nobody really has the right to speak into your life. Your heart says you don't need that. And it's a work of God for us to do that. It's a gospel issue for us to have friends. And so that's on one side. What about, what about those who are afraid to speak? Right? Uh, you know, and this is sobering, especially to one who loves to say nice things to people and not be in conflict. Okay? That's my sin struggle. So I will struggle being a dear friend to you because I am not a friend if I'm unwilling to speak with bold honesty what God would say needs to be spoken. King David, he struggled with that. First Kings chapter 1, verse 6. David's at the very end of his life, and his son, uh, Adonijah, is starting to kind of try to take over the kingdom. Uh, it's not his. Uh, it's going to be Solomon's as the next right of king. And, and so that this son is now going around and starting to stir things up and gather a following. And it's interesting. This is the comment that his father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He never challenged his son with, hey, why are you doing these things? Why are you like this? What, what's going on in your heart? And because of that, it ultimately led to his son's death as he tried to take over the kingdom and was put to death because of it. It's interesting. A father's voice is similar to that of a friend's voice, that need of just willing to displease somebody and say or ask the hard thing. So if you are one who is surrounded by flatterers, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Basically, if everybody's saying all good things about you, you might need better friends because they're actually setting a trap for you because you start to believe that narrative. I really am as great as they're telling me. And that's just a trap. But then Proverbs 28, 23, if you're one who has spoken and you've paid for it, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. To speak boldly in honesty with a friend, with a son, with, uh, with uh, anybody you're in relationship, that's going to come at a cost. But God is saying the fruit of that 
will show up, and afterwards you will find more favor than the, word, the one that speaks flattering words over somebody. Constancy, the one who is boldly honest, it's another trait of a true friend, is, is counsel. Proverbs 29, uh, 27 verse 9, that's that where we see the sweetness of a friend, that phrase come in, that oil and perfume, these things are nothing to us, but in the ancient world, these things were the height of, of, of wealth and of uh, being taken care of. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes where? Just from them being around? No, it comes from his earnest counsel. By him actually speaking and providing words that we need, that is the sweetness of a friend. And so the bold honesty meets this idea of counsel. And so sometimes it's reassurance, sometimes it's, it's speaking something boldly. We need both in friendship. But it's, but it's also the idea of awareness. Now, we don't have time to really un, uh, uh, go through all of this. This is kind of where it, uh, Proverbs gets a little bit funny. Um, and you've probably noticed this a time or two. But, um, yeah, the first one is serious. Uh, that whoever sings songs to a heavy heart, someone that's grieving, someone that has lost uh, a loved one, a parent, a friend, uh, whoever sings to a heavy heart is like one who takes a garment or off a garment in a cold day and vinegar on soda. There's vinegar again, okay? Um, basically, it just kind of bubbles up and flares up. But to take somebody's coat on a cold day, it's annoying. It's troublesome. And so the one who is going to sing a happy song to the person that's grieving has totally missed what their friend is going through. And Proverbs is saying, to be a good friend, you've got to be aware. You've got to know what's going on. The NIV in chapter 27, verse 14, I love this translation. Um, not that the ESV is off, but just the, the words kind of uh, sing better in 27:14. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning... It will be taken as a curse. <laughs> What's that mean? That means if your friend is in bed and you say the nicest thing possible at the top of your lungs, they're going to hate you for it. You're like, wait, I'm just saying nice stuff. No, you're unaware. You've missed entirely what would actually bless your friend. And you're probably thinking more about yourself. The awareness of friendship matters. You know, uh, this one, you know, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he will have his fill of you and hate you. <laughs> Basically, you can wear out your welcome, you know, uh, you know, after three days, companies kind of like fish, you know, it starts to stink. You know, all of those phrases uh, kind of go there, um, you know, the, the sense that we can overdo our time with friends, but ultimately that goes to the idea of awareness, that we're paying attention. What would bless the other person more than what I can get? So constant, bold, honesty, counsel, the idea of being aware and, and knowing what's happening, but what is the impact of a friend? The impact of a friend comes in Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: that iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Growth, us becoming more like Christ, 
Iron, how does it sharpen itself? How does a sword sharpen another sword? Is by clashing against each other. Again, not exactly our picture of friendship, but it is that that willingness to be bold with each other, to not always be, you know, just walking in step with each other. That the willingness to clash actually sharpens each other before God. That we need friends like that. We need those in our life that will do that, and we need to be that for each other. We need to be ones who will boldly love like Jesus did in John 15, where he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. We know that Jesus was one who was willing to do that, to lay his life down so that we might be accepted. Then in John 15, he goes on in verse 15, he says, No longer to his disciples do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. That the idea of friendship and what we long for, Jesus is saying, I call you a friend of mine because he was willing to die to make that relationship right. Moses, when he meets with God in Exodus 33, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. There's this need in all of us to have friends in this life that are going to point us there, but it's interesting that our relationship with the living God, the creator of all things, would then be depicted as a friendship. Not just creator-creature, which is true, but the friendship of God, that he meets us and he does all of these things perfectly for us. So that's why Proverbs 18 would say at the end that there is a friend who sits closer than a brother. It's possible in this life, but it is most definitely our Lord and Savior who loves us like every friend should absolutely do that. Do you know him? If you don't know the living God today, he is saying, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you come to Christ and understand what friendship looks like so you can know how to look for friends, but also be one to each other? So let's pray. God, I ask that you would uh, use this picture that Proverbs developed and set out. God, give us insight into that. Help us to uh, to see and understand. God, challenge our own hearts in uh, are the people that we would count as friends, are they really life-giving? Are they taking us down the road of a fool or to the road of wisdom? Are they taking us towards you or away? And Father, also help us uh, when we long for that and miss that type of friendship. God, that you love us with this type of love, that you are a friend to us. And God, that's just an amazing, staggering phrase. So I pray, God, that you would meet us in that as well. Uh, God, challenge us by your word, but by your grace, would you encourage us? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.